Welcome to the Tao of Color Grading interview series, where we talk with influencers, thought leaders, and professionals about the field of color grading for moving images. Show notes, links, our free weekly newsletter, and our color training products can be found at TaoOfColorGrading.com. And I'm your host, Patrick Inhofer. We're back for this second episode talking with international colorist and trainer Warren Eagles. He's based out of Australia. Warren is extremely active in the color grading community, both online and offline, and he's been training colorists for years, especially on DaVinci systems. In part two, we still don't have any loggers on hand, but we do start to dig into how he works with clients, his approach to color grading, and the future of our business. Enjoy. You've been doing this for a long time, so I mean, I imagine you find that, you know, if, if you go back and review your work or you do a, watch, a final watch down with a client, um, you know, do you find yourself thinking, what was I thinking? I mean, does that happen to you anymore? No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen very often. One thing that does happen, though, if I do a grade over two days, and that's something that's sort of happened since Resolve and Apple Color, where, say, if we're talking maybe a 44-minute drama, TV one hour, you'd have a day to, to grade that, say a 10-hour day if you were on a Da Vinci 2K. Right. That'd be quite a big day. With the advent of Color and Resolve, I found myself doing that over two days. Right. Two more relaxed days, maybe two eights, as I said. Right. Uh, and then the second day, so you get the bulk of the show done on the first day, but then allowing you to go back that second morning when you're refreshed and just look through things then. And that's then, I could then look at that and think, well, in the context of the whole show, what I did towards the end doesn't really work now. I've seen that and I will change things that way. Whereas that would have been harder to do uh, conventionally if you only had a day. Just to review things and go back and maybe revisit it. Maybe subtly change things and add a few more few more windows. But I find that definitely helps grading over two days. And so how much time do you typically find yourself? Let's say, let's start with a feature. You know, you've got a, a 90 minute uh, narrative feature. Uh, how, about how much time do you find yourself uh, spending, you know, given on, on a project like that? Well, I did a reasonably low-budget indie feature here last year, uh, grading that on Apple Color, and that was 90 minutes, and that was four days. Yeah, okay. Sounds about now, right. they only had money for three, but when I got in there and I knew the DP and I liked the show, so uh. I did an extra day. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit hard to leave it. Yeah, but that was really was sat down with the with the DP and the director, and we discussed some looks on some scenes the first morning. I then spent a day and a half going through balancing the whole film, and then the third day I started just shaping some nice things with a dropping some grads and maybe some windows, bringing out the just helping to tell the story really as I. As I'd seen the film a few times, I got to understand, I'd spent the time with the director understanding where he wanted to go with it. And then I sort of shaped in the very last day, we just all sat, three of us sat through it again, made a few little changes, a few more shapes. Uh, so it was a relaxed four days. It wasn't, it wasn't crazy, but that's about average, I would say, for here for the smaller films. And that's interesting. Now, is that how you typically work? You'll go through, you'll balance your show first, 
and then you go back and do the nitty gritty or if just... I'm, yeah basically if i've got limited time yeah because if we're on a deadline or we do run out of time on something i don't want the first half of the show to look <laughs> really good and gratted and have some glows and maybe i'm softening some skin and then towards the end it all got really crazy we didn't have time yeah. Now, I do see that a little bit with newer colorists who want to get in there and do a lot, and they can, and they want to use the tools, but they're not as fast as someone who's been using it a lot, and they do literally run out of time. Yeah. So the end of the show doesn't look as polished as the beginning. <laughs> I always, <laughs> But I always say you can never know your material enough. I normally watch the offline twice before I start, I really want to understand the story and I want to understand where my problems are going to be. Where is this going to be hard to grade? Is there underexposure? Was there uh, different filters, different cameras? Where is it not going to balance? So I want to try and address those first and then move on from there and then slowly manage my time. I think it's important for you guys, especially just to to work out what they need to achieve and how long they have to do it for. That's really interesting. So, so when you're doing your initial pass, your balancing pass, are you also just looking for a nice neutral image or are you, are you thinking about how much contrast, how thick should the blacks be, what am I doing on the highlights, or are you just looking for a nice neutral balanced kind of seamless shot to shot kind of yeah show. definitely definitely with resolve because in resolve I always make my first node is uh is a very neutral balance okay so i sometimes i won't do very much at all depending on how it's shot but i will always make that number one node very neutral so i can always cut back to that but while i'm doing it i'm looking at the shot and i'm thinking you know is this clean is there a little bit of noise there so I'm evaluating a lot of things. I'm trying to get, obviously, as much separation in my key characters, remembering that in every shot, you know, my, my actress or my actor, especially in a film, is my product. They are my pack shots. Yeah. So they obviously my heroes, and I know my clients. That is what they are going to be looking at. They're looking at their investment, which most of the time that's their biggest investment is their talent. So, right. That's a great point. I mean... Uh, you know, one of the big differences between that and I guess a commercial workflow is the client's more concerned about the packaging uh, than they are necessarily about the talent. Very much so, yeah, yeah. The, the, every, like I say to people, everything you grade, whether it's a doco, uh, music video, there is hero, talent, or pack shot, or product, car, whatever. And your clients have all got their own little hero that they are looking for. Um, so that's what I, my job is trying to see, you know, what am I getting the best out of this shot? Can I make that any better, any cleaner? Once I've done that, then obviously my second pass is maybe deciding what scenes could do with a look or a different style. Sometimes they don't need anything. Right. They've been shot really well. They look great. A mistake some other people will do is trying to force things too hard and pushing things into a look where they don't necessarily need that. Well, now, see, now you bring up uh, uh, a very interesting subject, you know, creating looks. And, you know, I kind of have, I've kind of developed this belief that really the, the look is developed in pre-production, you know, in art direction, in, you know, lighting design. And, I mean, would you agree with that, that that's really, I mean, if you're really going for a look, that's where you should be starting? Oh, definitely. Very important, yeah. 
I mean, you can really see where something has been really nicely art directed and that they're talking to the DP, so the colour schemes are right and they've just got little touches in there that just make just my life so much easier if we are suggesting we're going for a slightly warmer glow look. The art direction is good and the, you know, the design of the sets or the locations, it just really helps. I mean, we can obviously do it and obviously I do get clients that will show me reference material or shots and say, can we have it like this? Now, to an extent we can and we can make it, but it's all those little other touches that make those films what they were and why they look so good. Right. Yeah, that's what gives it that kind of professional. That's really, to me, that is the film look, isn't it? I mean, it's not 24P. Yes. It's not, it's no. everything else. It's the total package. Would you agree yes. with that? Yeah, definitely. I would, I would agree with that. So, and that's something that it does help with budget. Yeah. You know, we are struggling in Australia to compete with CSI. Uh, that is a highly rated show. They obviously have money to spend, and, and it shows. It does look a very good show. But that does make it harder for a lot of local producers here that are trying to get shows up and trying to compete with visuals like that, with just the, the way that they spend money, just on the thing. It is quite hard. So, you know, but, and, and do but, you find that the actual shooting codec, like your choice of the codec that your camera outputs, has an impact on on your ability to start moving images around to create interesting looks? Yeah, definitely. We've got the whole DSLR, yep. Canon 8-bit H264 thing. And I graded a uh, commercial last week, I think, that was Canon. And I must admit, I know the DP World Director, and he shoots good stuff, and it did look very good out of the camera. And that is the good thing about it. Right, does look good. Lenses are great. At great depth of field. Now, all I really did was, you know, do the usual uh, few little grads on the people, just bringing the faces and the products. There was no huge change. Warmed some of it. Brought some skies back, but I didn't do too much. With it being eight bit, you will see those pictures. You will see the compression in there a little bit more than you would with other formats. But that was fine. But I've also heard things that uh, shoots where they shot a mixture of red and Canon, and they're trying to edit out all the red because it looks so flat. Oh, my you God. Know, in editorial, yeah. they think it's looking yeah. flat. So they're... Yeah, in editorial, yeah. Oh. The director said, I've been looking at the red. and well, They've obviously shot the red that way, so it could be graded, but there's been mixed messages, and it's just, oh, I just love the look of the Canon. It just looks so much better. And so they're cutting out the red shots. Oh my God, that's kind I'm of a hearing, heartbreaker. I'm hearing stories like that, which is it's disappointing, and that sort of leads me onto the fact why, when I was uh, demonstrating at IBC, <clears throat> for Resolve, there was a lot of DPs or rental house guys were coming to me, say, "Look, I've really got to, I've really got to grade my dailies. I'm losing so much control because when I was shooting film, I'd take it to you." And we chat, and you're my buddy, and you'd make it look reasonably good and help me out. Then now it just gets transcoded at 709 or Redlog or however goes to the clients, and I have no control how that looks. And my whole reputation is sitting on what they look at there in their Avid or their FCP. So 
they're saying to me, well, I want to get my own system so I can just grade my dailies up and just make them, just put a bit more contrast or deliver what I want to deliver. Yeah, you know, I've had a client do that with me as well. They, they'd actually transferred the red stuff somewhere else to ProRes and they were convinced that the reason the red looked so flat was because it was ProRes LT and they wanted me to re-deliver as, as ProRes HQ. And I'm like, I don't think this is what you're reacting to. Um, yes. I think you guys misunderstand what's going on here. Yes. And, and so that brings up the look. <laughs> I actually have, a, I have a, one of my questions for you is about, you know, uh, someone, I was having an email exchange with some, one person who enrolled it at Tower Color. And he's saying, you know, I'm starting to feel like there's actually a new look in town, and that's called the DSLR look. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're seeing a definite fair bit of that down here in Australia now. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a popular format to shoot, but I've also got a, a, a DP buddy who's actually um, hiring out his Canon kit because he's preferring to shoot conventional, yeah. mainly Alexa. I think it is a good stopgap. But I think NAB will be very interesting with what some of the other guys are doing. I know Sony have obviously got their their camp, uh, competition in that area now. The Epic about to land at any time. So though I do like the images from them, uh, I think uh, there will be better options and more camera or moving camera options rather than a, a still camera that can shoot movies. So now, um, now I want to change gears a little bit because we're getting near um, the end of our time together today. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about kit and gear. And can you explain, uh, just let the audience know a little bit about uh, what you're working on today and uh, how you kind of, are you staff or are you freelance, that type of thing? I work freelance and my time is split between probably half doing training through iColorist com for the ICA yep. and within that is the bit of work I do demonstrating at shows for Black Magic. I've also previously demoed for uh, DFT on their film scanners and their bones products and the other half is grading whether that is at home on my system or going as a freelancer to other, other shops here in Australia and in Asia. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I've seen, uh, I've, I've, you know, you, you Twitter every now and then, and I've, I've noticed that uh, you bounce around to, uh, to Asia pretty frequently. Yes. Uh, I was in Bangkok last year doing a film. Manila doing two weeks of commercials. I find a little bit that I, what I do, if there's a new installation, I'll go there and do some mentoring. Right. Well, I'll do some grading and they'll sit with me while I do some grades. They'll do some grades. So it's a mixture of training and grading, which I like doing because I still like to be able to go into some of these places. And uh, uh, there's nothing like just walking into a place and thinking, right, we've got 10 minutes before the client walks in. Because <laughs> there's a little bit of excitement. There's obviously a little bit of nervousness about actually doing that. But, you know, I find that quite challenging sometimes. You're sort of heading heading from the airport at the same time as the clients are, almost in the race <laughs> to get there. And I'm just hoping I'm going to get there. Just, right, okay, now what side are the waveforms on? Yep. Uh, where's our, where are my files? You're calibrated like this. Away we go. Right. Uh, what I'm running at home, I'm running uh, a Mac Pro 09. 
with a 285 graphics card and a GC120. I've got six terabytes of CalDigit external storage. Uh, an exciting thing for me, I'm just about to take delivery of some Resolve panels. Oh, congratulations. Good for you. Which up till now I've been using a Wave, which I'm a big fan of as well, because uh, I obviously use that when using Apple Color quite yeah. a lot. And before I had a Resolve, I was using Apple Color at home. Uh, so, yeah, it's a small what you, room. What are you monitoring on? I've got a, a BON, a Korean monitor, 24-inch uh, uh SDI. Oh, I'm not familiar with that one. That's an that's an LCD or? Yeah, it's an LCD. I think it's badged as a Plura in the US. Hmm, interesting. You may have heard of it as a Plura, but I picked that up at NAB a couple of years ago. I was looking around. I really liked it and got that then. Uh, it's in my, my place. is just in my home, so it's not a big a client attend thing. But so it tends to be uh, smaller shows. And uh, excuse me while I just go and <laughs> mug that dog. Yeah, don't hurt him. <laughs> no, they're, they're gonna, she's going to start the whole street off now. It's going to sound something <laughs> like a dog movie where they go chasing around. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, I have the ability, if I need a bigger room, I will go and dry hire or use a facility or move my gear into a bigger space. Right. Where you can have, uh, you know, cappuccino, chicks and, you know, <laughs> PlayStations and that sort of thing. Exactly. Well, let me but, ask you real quick. Um, you know, talking about working with clients, because you obviously have a lot of experience doing this. You you walk into a room, you've you've literally, you've walked off the airplane, the client's walked off the airplane, you sit down on footage you haven't had a chance to look at. How do you go about establishing a rapport with your client, understanding how they look at the image, um, even understanding who is the final, like, approval person you got to get past? in order to, to wrap up the day. How, how do you manage all of that? Uh, just, I think it's just really important just to talk, talk, to, talk a lot generally at the beginning to get at ease because when you haven't worked with someone before, there's always a little bit, you know, who's this guy and what's he done and what are they going to do? There's always a little bit of uneasure at the beginning of the session to actually get going. Right. So openly, obviously friendly to get them on side and then I will look at, the ad through with them, the offline, discuss things, and then I will always offer up what I think. Now, sometimes it helps that I haven't been at all attached to the shoot because I can come at it objectively and say, well, I think definitely I'm going to cool off the shadows slightly in this shot and a bit of desaturation, which is always good. What I will never say is sit down and go, okay, what are we going to do with this? Right. Because they're coming to me for that. Yeah. You know, they probably got their ideas and that's great. So I will offer things. And the other thing is if they say, no, Warren, sorry, uh, I don't really think, but that's fine. That doesn't bother me. You know, I'm not going to be really, you know, upset that they didn't like my look or my two looks. I'd maybe do two. I'd, I'd offer them two on two hero shots of the ad. That's obviously a lot easier to do now in a non-linear world it ever used to be. Yep. And offer them to them and just get them involved and get them up the front and, Talk to the clients as much, even though the director is is my hero. I've got to deliver for that director first. Right. Maybe that DP second. But I may have agency people, if we're talking commercials, they're there. And you've obviously got to talk and offer things with them, but get them towards the front. But obviously, you wear on the side of what your director wants. Do you find that you spend a little bit of time, especially with clients you don't know, um, 
trying to identify who's the voice that in the end actually matters because they oftentimes don't offer themselves up right at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. You need to work. And that's one of the things you do when you're grading. You're listening all the time and thinking, oh, this person has obviously done that. And, oh, they worked on that campaign. and Oh, that was quite big. And they worked with this set colorist or that DP on that. So you pick a bit of knowledge and then you, you try and obviously somebody suggests something, how left of center or radical you think it may or may not work. You will do that or I will create that for them and show them. Then I might suggest, well, maybe I like some of that, but if we mix a bit of what you thought there with this on this shot, then that could work. Right. It's, so, it's a game. It's a game, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, and it, I guess it's just the type of thing. It's an experiential thing. And I, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you learn a lot by watching other people do this, other guys who have yeah. been doing it for 20 years. And, definitely, uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we talk about this in the ICA. People often say, you know, what makes a great colorist? You know, it's the same as grading. It's very subjective. But they obviously have to be creative. They have to be able to look at an image and know how to change it to something else, to do something in a creative way. And obviously, when you've done that, you've got to be able to balance it. But you have to be technical because you have to understand when certain files or codecs will run into problems. And on top of doing those things, you have to be an entertainer and entertain <laughs> your clients as well. It's true. And, <laughs> so and you got to be able to listen to them. I mean, you have to, sometimes what they ask for isn't really what they want. And you've got to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good conversation. I had Alexis when I saw him at IBC, you know, some of the, the funny terms that they will come out with. And that's a hard thing now for, for younger colorists to get to grips with and maybe will work with more experienced directors. Some things mean different things in different countries and yeah. we have some weird, and I even get caught using them on the training and I'll get a student looking at me very, very dumbly, <laughs> strangely <laughs> thinking, what's he talking about? And it's only that I've, I've used some term that I probably used from years ago, which uh, I should really use the more technical term than that. So we're coming up, I have a couple more questions for you, but we're coming up to the end of the end of our conversation. And I just wanted to do a quick shout out, give you an opportunity to do a quick shout out where people can find you. Um, and, and also to thank you really for, for taking the time to do this. I mean, kind of, you know, you train people, I train people. And, uh, and it's really nice that, that you agreed to come onto my podcast and, and, and talk to, to, to my listeners. And I, I really do appreciate that. Oh, that's, that, that, that's a pleasure. That's great to come on, Patrick. I've, I've enjoyed our chat. And, uh, the, yeah, so where can the, people the, find you? Yeah, uh, for, for training things, it is www.icolorist.com. And if you go there, that's seven colorists running different training classes. So it could be at Pacific. So it could be New Coder, Luster, Resolve, Color. We're just taking on a guy who's doing uh, Red Giant. Yep. Uh, uh, grading in there and FCP using those plug-in products. Simon Walker from the UK, so he's come on board. Uh, so, or it could be a thing we run called Color Strategies, which is general color correction. Like things we've been talking about today, working the clients, looks and styles, talking about film and telecine history. So we do that. Um you can look at my Vimeo page, which is... I love your Vimeo page. Vimeo.com. That's the sort of thing I do when I'm uh, away in hotels. And I'm, do, I, do I go to the pub or do I sit and make a little movie? 
Ah, uh, you're you geek. Years ago, I would have gone to the bar. Yeah, you've turned into a geek. You're making <laughs> Vimeos on your yeah, instead of going for beer. I know, I know, it's sad, isn't it? And that's maybe. And that's Vimeo.com. Sorry, Vimeo.com forward slash iColorist. Okay. Well, maybe I should take the wave and the laptop into the bar, and I could do both together. You can hear, you know, glasses and bands in the background while I make these films. <laughs> That's funny. And um, and when I'm, I'm curious as to your your looks class because you you run a looks class. Yes. And I mean, just generally, do you think that there are some looks that have just kind of run out that maybe people shouldn't be doing anymore, or you think uh, you know there's a place for everything? Yeah. No, I think there is a place for everything, but I think uh, it's a great starting point to probably learn a certain look and then you need to come up with ways you can invent things slightly differently. Right. You know, if you swing the hues in a slight look, you look at the, the classic sort of Transformers orange and teal thing, if you go in there and tweak the hue of any of them and why does that work so well, it's obviously something that's pleasing to our eyes, but maybe a desaturated version on that or... Offset two other colors together is an interesting concept. Right. Instead of working on a on a dual palette, you start working yeah. on yeah. Maybe, maybe, but just the experience. The more you can lock away to bring out when you need them, you go. How about this? How about that? And that's experience. And it's more experience on jobs because you can play around all the time with your bit of test material. There's nothing like actually working with a client to do that. And it's the more experience, the more you will be. Uh, able just to produce those things and to produce them fast. That's the other key. And, you know, I think the final thing I wanted to talk to you about as someone who's watched our industry not only transform, but you've kind of embraced those trans transformations. And, um, you know, as, you know, I mean, Apple Color was a, was a watershed moment. Resolve coming on Mac as software only, another watershed moment in terms of accessibility to these tools. Where do you see this business going? I mean, are you know are, are guys like you and and me going to be replaced by like thirty dollar an hour college grads? I mean, is that what we're destined to to see what come of our careers? No, I don't think so. I think the freelance is probably a good space to be. Uh, I see here in Australia, there's some smaller shops starting with Resolve. Production companies in commercials are putting their machines in, like they put in their Avids and their FCPs. Similar thing is happening with color correction. Uh, I think there will be some really great colorists that come out of uh, learning it in their bedroom. Yep. The, the, uh, you know, the, the key is to keep in the hourly rates up for these, these new shops. And I think the colorists will take more of a, a percentage of that hourly rate. So though some people think it's a bad thing, I think there will be some really good people come through and there will be obviously like anything, some, some average people out there doing things. But at the end of the day, they are coloring on a, on color correction software. And hopefully they are doing it in a calibrated environment rather than an editor who has no real interest in color correction, only the fact they're getting paid a day rate to color a, a documentary or a drama. Yep. And that was happening because the production couldn't afford to go into a post house and spend a day on a Da Vinci 2K or something doing that. So in a way, that's why I think it's good that it is getting into onto color correction software. 
And so to guys uh, like you who have, you know, this just wealth of experience, I mean, what do they need to do to ensure they stay competitive going forward? Uh, you know, I get asked all the time about, uh, you know, can I get anything out of classes? I think even experienced guys is great for them. They can grade, obviously, because they've been doing that for a number of years. But just to get a real good heads up on the software uh, is really going to give them a start. You know, we can re we can all read the manual. We can look at my Vimeo page, and we can get bits of it. Yep. But to get a good start is a really great thing for a class. So maybe look at the iColorist classes. But one of the other things I've been asked a lot since Resolve coming out is where is there a is there going to be a Resolve DVD or online training? Oh yes, online let's tutorials. Yes, you have some so, news for us on this. Yep. Uh, last week I've just uh, signed to do five hours of online training on Resolve in conjunction with FX PhD. They have a new segue, which is a slight alternative to the current term structure. And so if you just want to learn Resolve and you learn that early, you will be able to buy or download just the Resolve class whenever you like. That's fantastic. Uh, so this is good because I was looking to do it and have I got time, shall I, shan't I? But you know, I had some really good reactions to the classes I did before with FX PhD, so that was good, and few people were asking. So that sort of fills the gap for the people that don't have a thousand dollars to do a two-day class, but they have, they, they have money, and they maybe they want to really get a good start on the software, or should they learn it if they're freelancers? And it will be enough to just get you going and give you confidence. And what I want to put into that class is a little bit of the ICA, the colorist strategy stuff as well. So maybe. Not just telling you how you make your power window, manual can tell you that, but, but why you're doing it. Right. And it's as easy for me when I'm talking to say, well, this is why you put the window there and in that area while I'm telling them how to do it. I'll try and put some of that into it. So you're, get, you're getting more than just about um, how to use the application. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I love the guys at FX PhD. I myself have have been an FX PhD student and um and they do great work over there and the fact that they're releasing this as a standalone product is huge um, i think you're going to see a tremendous uptake on that and uh, i'm very happy for you and and when the uh when it comes out i'll be sure on my weekly newsletter you know to give it a nice big fat plug and say you know if you're on resolve and you need to learn it go here so great very Greg, that's to really that. good to hear we're we're shooting after nab because i believe there'll be a few cool things coming out at nab yep i'm going over there to work for black magic so i'll get that first hand on what the new stuff is i'll then adjust my uh, 10 half an hour classes around that new stuff and then we'll be we'll be recording in in i would say in may time so release you know summer summer your time that's fantastic. So, uh, Warren, once again, uh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed our conversation, and, uh, and, and thanks a lot for joining us today. Lovely. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. And that's a wrap. I'm sure we'll be bringing Warren back on. If for no other reason, I had more questions. And if he ever gets out to New York, you can be sure I'll be signing up for one of Warren's classes. 
This podcast has been brought to you by TauofColor.com. I encourage you to leave comments about this interview on its blog posting. Now, I've got something special in our next podcast, which will probably drop just after NAB 2011. It's going to kick off a special Tau of Color Grading series on running a color grading business. And it looks like I am going to be the guinea pig. You'll get to hear exactly how I stepped into it. And, well, that's all I'm going to say right now. And as a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, you'll enjoy our weekly color grading newsletter. It's delivered to your inbox every Sunday alongside your morning coffee, your afternoon croissant, or maybe it's your Sunday evening glass of wine, depending on your time zone, since our readers are international. And of course, the Tau has its own very unique project-based color grading training program, and I encourage you to check it out. My name is Patrick Inhofer. Thanks for your time.